0: Evening, it's a blessing to be here, appreciate all of you coming. I've been coming to White Oak now for somewhere almost 20 years, and there are two things I've learned about White Oak. First is that you'll always hear the word spoken truly here, you'll hear sound words. But beyond that, you can expect anything. You can expect the song service being led by somebody somewhere, by an old man sitting in the back half of the auditorium, maybe. When David Smith came to speak in the summer series, his little daughter, he said she kept looking around and everywhere and she finally turned to me and said, Daddy, where is the song leader? <laughs> and then you find this old man sitting up here before you tonight. But that's, that's White Oak. I appreciate this opportunity, and I have trouble with my eyes, but I read better without my glasses. But that presents another problem. If When I don't have my glasses, I can't see you, so you're going to have to just behave tonight. A couple of months ago, I was watching the Gospel Broadcasting Network on TV, and this program came on, which was titled, The Silencing of God, the Dismantling of America's Christian Heritage. The program was sponsored by Apologetics Press, a fairly large, sound Christian publishing company. And Dr. Dave Miller, the current executive director, was speaking. And what he had to say impressed me so much that I felt, man, everybody needs to hear this. It was printed as a book, so I bought the book and and read it and Most of the content of my lesson tonight and the next lesson I will present is based on what was written in that book. There's a strong cultural war being fought in this country today. The good old USA is undergoing swift change as the forces of so-called political correctness spread their false ideas. A popular phrase used frequently today when you say something publicly is, it's got to be politically correct. Being politically correct is used frequently, and uh, it means simply that when you say something publicly, that you don't say anything that, that might offend or embarrass anybody or class of people. Also, let me remind you that the word culture, with the war which we're in, the Cambridge English Dictionary states that culture is the way of life, especially the general customs and beliefs of a particular group of people at a particular time. Judges, educators, entertainers, and liberal politicians have joined together to sell a sanitized or cleaned up version of America's past. Their objective has been and still is to just wipe out every manifestation of God, Christ, and the Bible from American life. They have are having a great success in their efforts and the result is that the moral and spiritual foundations of American civilization is literally collapsing. When you look back to the very beginning of this great country, you see very clearly that America demonstrated a close connection to God and Christianity. And this connection was mainly evident in the everyday life of the public leaders as well as the ordinary citizens. There is a tremendous amount of evidence which shows that the founders of this country intended that the political institutions they established be based upon and rooted in the moral principles of the Christian religion. Now, the term Christian religion, as it is used tonight at that uh, time, and at that time, included all people who believed in God and Christ and worshipped them in some way. The movement originated by Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, and others, which we call the Restoration Movement, to restore the true church to America was just beginning So there was most likely a few of those congregations in existence among the many denominations that were present at that time. So the big question is, how can a nation that has obtained such greatness stray so far away from its original foundations? The aim of this lesson is to arouse by some means A stirring plea to the nation beginning with the church to return from the moral and spiritual depths which she has fallen and to reaffirm the biblical values and the foundations which at one time were held so dearly by our forefathers, but which now are being systematically stripped from public life. It needs to begin with the true church. That's us. That's you. That's me. That's where the fight has to begin. For 185 years, American culture was friendly toward Christianity. America was, in fact, considered to be a Christian nation. But for the last 60 years or so, evil forces such as humanism Atheism, evolution, social liberalism, and political correctness have been highly aggressive in their assault on the Christian religion. They have succeeded in gradually tearing down many of the moral and spiritual principles that once characterized our society. America's religious, moral, and spiritual foundations Or just today, falling apart. America is at war. And the central issue is God. Make no mistake, America is in a life and death struggle over whether the God of the Bible will continue to be be acknowledged as the one true God and Christianity as the one true religion in this great country. Now more than ever before social and political liberals from Hollywood to the university campus to the nation's capital capital, are openly hostile toward God. Those of us who profess Christianity are facing perilous times. There are efforts being made on every corner to erase any and all references to God and Christianity from public life. Revisionist historians, liberal politicians, secularist educators, bankrupt entertainers, and activist judges prodded by social uh, organizations like the ACLU, That's American Civil Liberties Union, the AUSCS, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, the PFAW, People for the American Way, NOW, National Organization for Women, Planned Parenthood, and the NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, and yes, even the NEA the National Education Association. Every one of these is very active in reshaping our history, our laws, and our traditional way of life. And the bad part about it is they present themselves under the appearance uh, that the founding fathers and the Constitution advocated A separation of church and state, most of it is based upon that belief that the church is separate from a state, with religion completely excluded from the public sector. Their approach goes something like this. They say, the founders intended, founders of our country, intended for our political institutions and public schools to be religiously neutral. Strict church backslash state separation must be observed with religion completely excluded from the public sector. Any such religious references would constitute an illegal endorsement of religion by the government. Therefore, No references to God nor Christianity in public settings must be showed or allowed, whether in the government, the community, or in the public school. This huge departure from the nation's beginning for the last 65 years has completely permeated the American population. For all practical purposes, America has become an atheistic, secularized, pluralistic state for the last half century in their conspiracy to gain sanction for abortion, pornography, homosexuality, atheistic evolution, and a host of other evil, immoral behaviors and beliefs. They have cried First Amendment rights, free speech, intolerance, and censorship to beat and bully and belittle their opponents into silent submission. Back in the late 1950s, when the Christian view was still popular in American civilization, the anti-Christian forces began to demand equal time, and cried loudly for freedom to express alternate views. They degraded the moral majority by accusing us of using Gestapo tactics against them. So now, to a great extent, they've had their way. Today, free speech, open discussion, and opposing views is a reality. Streets are closed so that protesters can march. Extra protection is necessary, requiring more policemen. And all of this is freely given. During the 50s and the 60s, when these subversive ideas began to raise their ugly heads, a great mistake was made by permitting these people to redefine the historical terms and concepts which were originally spoken by the Founding Fathers, the architects of our American civilization. Free speech was redefined to mean the right to practice and promote any and every idea or behavior that contradicted Christianity. Let me read that again. Free speech was redefined to mean the right to practice and promote any and every idea or behavior that contradicted Christianity. No matter how immoral or depraved it might have been, everything from burning or urinating on the flag to hardcore pornography came to be classified as free speech, while Christian resistance was considered censorship. This minority group in America... Who have exhibited such hostility toward God, the Bible, and Christianity have literally intimidated and coerced the majority into accepting their idea, they say, is found in the Constitution of the U.S. But historical evidence shows that those who framed the Constitution and made the law never would have entertained the notion that free speech included speech and behavior which is considered to be licentious or immoral by Christian standards. Today we live in a time far removed from the time when America began. The founders of our great country clearly believed that the initial existence And future survival of this country was heavily, if not exclusively, dependent on a continuous teaching and understanding of the Bible and of Christianity throughout our society. Yet for over a half century now, Americans have been pounded and prodded with the propaganda that public expressions of Christianity should not be allowed with the reason being because we might offend someone who does not share our Christian beliefs. Who could ever have imagined that the day would come when the practice of the Christian religion in a Christian nation would be considered insensitive or evil? To illustrate the extent to which America has fallen from its original heights. Let's look at a couple of events that took place. At the exact same time a federal judge was demanding the Chief Justice of the Alabama State Supreme Court remove a Ten Commandments monument in Montgomery, Alabama. Guess what was happening in California? A small marker was unveiled in Sacramento, along the parkway of the California Veterans Memorial that read, In honor of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender veterans killed in action, gay rights advocates hailed the memorial as the first such state-sanctioned landmark honoring homosexual war veterans. Remove the Ten Commandments and place a monument honoring gays? Yes, that's happening here in America. Honoring gays is praiseworthy, while honoring God is repugnant and unconstitutional. Can you believe that? That's incredible. But it's what's happening, and it's happening now. And the sad part is that these scenarios were just a small part of what is taking place all over the nation. Anything which even hints to the God of the Bible is being stripped from public life. Everything from Christian symbols in city and county seals to pregame prayers after school even to the use of the Bible in the jury deliberation rooms is banned. All are considered to be politically correct. Did you know that the phrase separation of church and state is not even found in the Constitution? Actually, Thomas Jefferson was the first notable to ever use the term. He used it in a private letter written 15 years after the Constitution was signed to reassure Baptists that the government would not interfere in the free exercise of their religious beliefs. As a matter of fact, the late Supreme Court Chief Justice William Rehnquist made this observation. It is possible to build sound constitutional doctrine upon a mistaken understanding of constitutional history. But unfortunately, the Establishment Clause has been expressly freighted with Jefferson's misleading metaphor for nearly 40 years. The wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history, a figure of speech which has proved useless as a guide in judging. It should be frankly and explicitly abandoned, but nobody listened to him. Did the founding fathers in the Constitution intend for Christianity to be kept out of the public sector? Did they desire that references to God, Christ, and the Bible be excluded from public life? Was that their intent? Or were they, in fact, actually more concerned about preventing the government from interfering with public expressions of the Christian religion? Did they themselves appeal frequently to God in political and public settings? Did they and their descendants for the first 180-plus years In fact, recognize and subscribe to the critical principle found in Psalms chapter 33 and verse 12 which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is their Lord. Indeed, they did. Let's examine just a small portion of the great amount of available evidence from the roots of America's forgotten And fast fading heritage. Let's examine some of those early political documents which were the foundation upon which, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, upon which this country was built. Perhaps the most important one of these was the Declaration of Independence. This document was written in Congress July the 4th, 1776. And it was ratified. It was intended to present the reasons for declaring a separation from England. If the founders intended to keep God out of national life, it would seem that there, here was the perfect opportunity to show that feeling. Let's look at a few parts of this Declaration of Independence. It states when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them to a decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now the use of the term nature's God was the 18th century way to refer to the God who created nature itself. Skipping on down a few lines, we read, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That comes from the Bible. That they are endowed by their Creator. They are endowed by their God with certain unalienable rights that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. That uh, as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all their acts and things which independent states have the right to do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives. Yes, that's the Declaration of Independence written by the founders of this country. The 156 signers of that declaration, in risking their very lives, put their signatures to a political document that acknowledged and appealed to the God of the Bible, four times, yet people today still insist that in the separation of church and state. What about the Constitution of the United States? Now, the Constitution itself does not give specific directives regarding Christianity because the forefathers were fearful that the federal government might interfere with And place restrictions on the free practice of the Christian religion. So they left the specifics of the religion to the discretion of the states. But it is very evident that the framers of the Constitution had a close relationship with Christianity. Although not actually written down, the Christian religion is assumed and is present in the Constitution. Notice that the First Amendment to the Constitution has to say this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It has been said that in using the phrase establishment of religion, the framers meant the government, uh, to maintain complete religious neutrality, meaning that all religions, whether Christianity, Islamism, Buddhism, Hinduism, or whatever, should be equally tolerated but must not be given any acknowledgment in the public sector. But such an outlandish claim is absolutely false. It didn't happen that way. They didn't mean that. All one has to do is to look at the discussion pertaining to the wording of the First Amendment in order to determine the meaning. The fact of the matter is that the framers in their use of the term religion had in mind the several Protestant denominations. Their concern was to prevent any single Christian denomination from being elevated above the others and made the state religion, which was a circumstance that they were breaking away from. Remember, before gaining independence, these 13 colonies were still under British rule and the Anglican Church, which was the state religion of England. That's what they wanted to break away from. The father of the Bill of Rights, George Mason, actually proposed this wording for the First Amendment, which demonstrates clearly what these forefathers really intended. He said, all men have an equal, natural, and unalienable right to to the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience and that no particular sect or society of Christianity, of Christians, notice, no sect or society of Christianity, he didn't say Muslim, he didn't say Hindu, he said Christian ant, Christians, ought to be favored or established by law in preference to the other. The framers intended to convey that the federal government was not to interfere with the free and public practice of the Christian religion, not to any other. Not every kind of religion was included. Next, let's consider the wording of a sentence from Article I, Section 7 of the Constitution. It states, if any bill shall not be returned by the president within ten days, Sundays accepted. After it shall have been presented to him, the same shall be a law in like manner as if he had signed it. Notice the phrase, Sundays accepted. So the government shuts down and does not transact business on Sunday. Why on Sunday? If this provision had been made in respect of Jews, the Constitution would have read Saturdays accepted. That's their worship day. If provision had been made for Muslims, it would have been Fridays accepted. If the fathers had intended to encourage a day of inactivity for the government without regard to any other religion, they could have said Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, but instead the federal constitution reads Sundays accepted, which proves conclusively that America was Christian in its beginning and that the framers themselves shared the same view that Christians shared worldwide and gave political recognition to that fact. If that's not enough... Let's consider one more. In Article 7, the Constitution closes with these words, done in convention by the unanimous consent of the states present the seventh day of September in the year of our Lord, 1787, and of the independence of the United States of America. Did you catch that? Their work was done in the year of our Lord, The Christian world dates all of human history in terms of uh, either B.C., which we all understand to mean before Christ, or A.D., which is the abbreviation for the Latin words Anno Domini, meaning year of our Lord. So if the framers of the Constitution were interested in being politically correct, they would have refrained from using the BC, AD designation for, for time. They could have used A.H. A-H, N-O-H-G-R, which means the year of the Hijra, which refers to Mohammed's flight from Mecca in AD 622, the date used by Muslims as the commencement date for the Islamic calendar. Instead, They chose to utilize the dating method which indicated the understanding they shared. What's more, their reference to our Lord does not refer to a generic deity or God, nor does it refer even to God the Father. The use of the term our Lord refers to God the Son, It is an explicit reference to Jesus Christ. So it seems according to the thinking of the ACLU and a host of other people, uh, the Constitution of the United States must be unconstitutional. So the big question is, what could happen next? What about presidential inauguration addresses? Immediately after taking office, every president has delivered to the nation inaugural address. Did you know that in when doing so, every single one of them has made reference to the God of the Bible? The farther back in history you go, the more allusions to God you find. Now, in saying that, to me at least, I think some of our latter presidents have said something about God but I'm not too sure that they, singular, were thinking about the God of heaven. For example, on April the 30th, 1789, the first president of our country, George Washington, made the following remarks in his inaugural address, such being the impressions under which I have in obedience to the public summons repaired to the present station, it would be peculiarly improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplication that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aids can supply every human defect, that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the united states that's that's god my friends to the affairs of men the propitious smiles of heaven the benign parent of the human race such remarks not only reflect a deep sense of dependency on and a closeness to the god of the bible They demonstrate the extent to which the entire nation at that time considered God and Christianity to be a major factor in existence. Later, President Washington explained in a speech to the Delaware Indian chiefs, You do well to wish to learn our arts and ways of life, and above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. These will make you a greater and happier people than you are. Congress will do everything they can to assist you in this wise intention. Note, both the president and the Congress will do everything they can to help you do this. You won't hear anything like that today. Seventy-two years later, when Abraham Lincoln became president, The nation was on the brink of civil war. In his inaugural speech of the nation, it is evident that the God of the Bible and the Christian religion weighed heavily on his mind. He stated, Intelligence, patriotism, Christianity, and a firm reliance on him who has never yet forsaken our favored land are still competent to adjust in the best way all your present difficulty. Imagine that. Abraham Lincoln used as the central thought in a plea to the nation to avert the war between the states the fact that they all shared the same God and the same religion, Christianity. Let me skip on down. The oft-quoted First Amendment was never meant to protect us from religion. It was to protect religion from governmental power. Together, let us take up the challenge to awaken America's religious and moral heart, recognizing that a deep and abiding faith in God and Christ is the rock upon which this great nation was founded but we might just take a ho-hum attitude toward this because the solution is just overwhelming. What, What can I do about it? What can you do about it? I'm just one person with one vote in this one precinct among many precincts, in one state among many states, and on and on. What can I do? Since Adam and Eve, God's people have always been a minority group. You ever thought about that? Before the flood came, God had only one preacher on the earth. But this didn't concern Noah. He preached for 120 years and converted no one except his family. There were only eight people on earth who followed God, and they survived the flood. Now, that's a minority we find in the book of Judges a prophet named Gideon who was called by God to gather gather an army of men to defeat the mighty Midianites. 32,000 men volunteered to fight. Then God appeared to Gideon and said, The people are too many. Lest Israel claim glory for herself, saying, My own hand saved me. So let whoever is afraid... Let him turn back and go home. 22,000 went back home, leaving 10,000 men. But God said, there's still too many. Bring them down to the water, and everyone who kneels down and laps from the water with his tongue shall remain. Only 300 were left. But you know the story. God, with only 300 men defeated the great Midianite army. That's a minority. Jesus Christ had just twelve apostles, yet he built a church in a heathen world. The apostle Paul stated in Philippians chapter four and verse thirteen I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus in John fifteen five said I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit for me. You can do, for without me, you can do nothing. Jesus is talking to individual Christians here. It is absolutely impossible for the Christian who is in union with Christ to be fruitless. Let me say that again. It is absolutely impossible for the Christian who is in union with Christ to be fruitless. The life within him will force itself out in holy words and actions. The true Christian will use the talents he has in the Lord's way. God's will will be done. Well, the question is, what can we do? We can pray, first of all. We can live righteous Christian lives, and we can teach the truth. And there are other things which we'll talk about in the next lesson. Jesus Christ was sent here to the earth by his Father. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God had one Son. He sent Him here to earth to suffer humility, to be spat upon, to be scourged with flesh falling off His back, to be uh, taunted and then be put to death in the most terrible way one could be put to death on the cross this all was done because god loves us and because christ loves us for us to help turn this nation around first of all we we've got to be christians we've got to live the christian life are you a christian If not, you can become one this very night by believing in Christ as the Son of God, by repenting of your sins, and by being baptized in water to have those sins removed and living a life for God until the end. If you have become a Christian and have fallen away, it's simple to come back. You just repent of those sins, determined to turn away from them, confess them before us and before God, and we'll pray with you and for you that that might take place. If you're subject to the invitation, won't you come as we sing?